0: Hey folks long time no speak apologies about the hiatus unforeseen circumstances made this all a very unplanned little break unfortunately i was not available for a few months however i'm here now and i've got a few episodes left before we go on our proper official break over christmas and new years you know these unplanned circumstances have made me decide on a huge change to the format of the show. I'm looking for a host to sit alongside me and be my partner in crime for Season 3, so make sure you hit that subscribe button and look out for those changes. I want to say a big thanks to all my listeners and fans who have stuck around during this unforeseen break, especially for my Patreon members who have made this show possible. Thank you for sticking around, your love is absolutely appreciated. And speaking of love, today we have iRideTaz on the show, a YouTuber from Tasmania who I have followed for years, I'm a huge fan. I discovered him while he was doing some vlogs on his classic 500 and it turns out he's also a great guy who's awesome at doing achievable driveway bike builds with limited tools and knowledge. He's not afraid of getting out there and getting dirty with the angle grinder, cracking open the welder and modding a motorcycle. But you know what? I'll let him explain that and more right here on Bikes Burgers Beers.
1: Have you got video there now?
0: I've got video, yeah, awesome man
1: which your light been turned off now you've seen my face.
0: <laughs> nah, all good, man. I've already seen your face on your YouTube channel. so <laughs> and, true, I still, true. and I still subscribe.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm honoured to be here. Like I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've listened to it right from the start. So yeah, I'm really honoured to be invited on. So thank oh, you very much.
0: Thanks, man. Well, I'm I'm honoured that you're here because I've actually been following your YouTube channel for years because you were one of the first people uh and a, and specifically an english speaking person that was doing like royal enfield videos so yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i've been and, a fan for years yeah <laughs>
1: and we're brothers in royal enfield Absolutely. that's right
0: yeah well i sold the classic 500 i ended up getting a himalayan so i'm still yeah. i'm still in the family but yeah um I do miss the 500, that's for sure, but the Himalayan's keeping me very happy and, and doing what I wanted to do, so, yeah. And
1: and you love it, obviously.
0: Oh, absolutely, man, yeah. I'm, I'm actually heading to the content creators meetup this weekend down in yeah. uh, down in Batemans Bay or East Lynn at the Fuel Cafe. Yeah, I, I suppose probably when everyone listens to this, that'll probably already be over, but, um, yeah, um, I'm thinking about taking the Himalayan just to sort of cruise down and have a chilled-out, little ride and just dawdling down making my way down there
1: is uh our mutual friend rob charlatan going to be there yeah Uh, i I believe
0: yeah throttle down under yeah he's definitely going to be there uh yeah rob's going to be there um i think um i think big bert from tassie is going to be there
1: i believe so yeah yeah i I think he's
0: already over here on the mainland if i'm not mistaken so um yeah so he's coming along uh and then there's another youtuber ebb which um mad girl moto but looking forward to seeing her she's on her way as well um awesome yeah so that'll be that'll be heaps of fun yeah so looking forward to that and yeah there's there's going to be heaps of people i think shannon's is coming as well like shannon's uh, insurance so yep.
1: yeah it's going to be a big one it's going to be pretty good Sounds amazing, and they're the sorts of things we unfortunately miss out on a bit in Tassie. Like, if you like doing your own thing, it's a great place. But like, if you like meetups and stuff like that, like it's it's just very difficult.
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get about five people turn up at the brewery or something, or the local pub,
1: (laughs) and it's five hours. Like, I got a message the other day, like, "Why don't you show us Hobart? Because it's snowing." and it's about four and a half hours right away
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right and the the thing is um with this with this moto um uh, content creators moto meetup that we're kind of planning on every year doing it in a different location and we have spoken about doing it in tasmania Uh, i think big bird even suggested it and i kind of agreed with him and said hey 2023
1: let's do it so yeah yeah, something like might... Penguin or something like that would be real nice, like yeah. sort of on the beach. And uh, I, I've seen Big Bert go there a few times and suddenly it's at a 25, 30-minute ride for me. I, it, it could be a good spot,
0: Yeah, close to the boat. Yeah, Perfect, yeah, nice. And, and yeah, it's nice location. There's plenty of cafes and lots of yeah, places to stay absolutely. as well. So so why, why don't we just tell our listeners a little bit about you? Because I, I know a lot about you because I've been a fan of your channel for ages. Give us a little one paragraph of uh, who you are and, and what you do on YouTube.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Um, my name's Chris, uh, aka iRideTaz, as in I ride Tasmania, uh, which is my home state. I sort of started off doing some motor vlogs, but these days I do a lot of more driveway bike builds to try and inspire people to make the bike of their dreams even though they don't have a complete shop and things like that also sort of ride in the state and highlight a few of these sort of more environmental aspects of Tasmania.
0: Definitely one of the things as I said earlier, I started watching your channel and subscribe <laughs> because of the Royal Enfield content and a lot of it was vlogging style just riding around and you were doing little mods to it like yeah you know putting the 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 uh, the cam plate on there. Uh, I think I, I watched one of your videos where you changed the front sprocket, if yeah, I remember yep. correctly, and taking it for a test ride. And, and all of those things early on, years ago, when you did all that, I was like, oh, let's, yeah, I want to see how that works, because if that's beneficial, then I'll do it to my 500 as well. I like your your driveway builds because it just goes to show you can still make a bike your own and customize it without getting into, like, fabrication and starting to weld stuff. and buying a, a an english wheel and and bending yeah. your own steel and <laughs> yeah yeah but you, you're not a fabrication shop but uh no, it, i think i think you don't need to be to customize your motorcycle to a point where you'll be happy with it and that's that's the good thing about your channel and that's what i love about it
1: thanks and it doesn't need to be forged in fire like it, it you can make it your own like stuff is freely available on uh i use the a lot because it's an australian resupply it comes to rural tasmania quickly but ebay amazon uh alibaba i don't tend to use that at all uh, i've struggled to get stuff within the same year but um <laughs> it's, it's all there for people to use and my personal opinion is you can't make a terminal mistake like it can all be fixed it can all be welded if it, you make a mistake it's a motorcycle. It's a relatively simple machine. It's fixable. So with with your
0: YouTube channel, what, what was the main reason you started it?
1: I, I think like a lot of people I, I started by strapping at that uh point it was a contour. I didn't it was sort of pre-GoPro being the main uh sort of vlogging camera. I strapped a contour 720 to my head and invented motovlogging vlogging and riding with a camera <laughs> on my head. And I sort of gradually evolved away from the moto vlogging format because everyone was doing it. Everyone wanted to be the next like Royal Jordanian or Baron von Grumble, which shot dating myself there a little bit, but <laughs> like, you, you would know everyone wanted to be the next Baron von Grumble. So, yeah. uh, it was difficult and like. Uh, a lot of the the big channels were american and things like that and people don't like my australian slash tasmanian accent and things so <laughs> sort of just gradually evolved the channel and sort of i i'm genetically incapable of keeping something stock it doesn't matter whether it's a drone i buy my sunglasses <laughs> my motorcycle like i've got to do something to it and i sort of decided to maybe try and combine the two together and sort of teach myself as I went and try and inspire people to make their motorcycle their own in their driveway. And uh, hopefully I've achieved that. Like uh, I really enjoy making videos and I really enjoy sort of that aspect of it and connecting with people for sure.
0: That's absolutely come across in all your videos. and And I've watched that being a long time subscriber. I've seen that little transition from just the vlogging, sitting on a motorbike with a camera strapped to your helmet, to the the driveway builds you do now, and and I think if anything, I, I I also hope that it inspires a lot of viewers who are looking at modifying their bike, even if it's something as simple as changing the handlebar grips or or changing the yeah. the, the clutch lever and front brake lever or something to to something else. You know, uh, I think um, some people can easily be overwhelmed by even, even something that like that who you and I might think is really simple but they might just look at it and go oh look I don't know how to undo that bolt there's all these wires here there's a cable how do you take the clutch mm. in fact I, I did a, a Q&A post the other day and uh, someone's commented already on it and said yeah do, you know how do you how do you change a clutch lever uh because of you know because of all the mechanism yeah. and 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 so I'm going to do a little Q and A video on on that, and um, and hopefully get some more some more questions as well. But it's one of those things that some of those some people just might not be confident in doing that. And I think having a channel like yours, you get to see that, and you might go, oh, actually that's not as hard as it looks. I'll give it a crack. So that's brilliant.
1: Thanks. And yeah, I think you're dead on. Like uh, particularly with a motorcycle, like there's the death aspect like i think that's far more daunting than say sort of putting a stereo in a car or something like that like if you short out the six by nines no one's going to die where if you sort of mess up the steering geometry or something like that the bike is going to handle differently and that that makes it much more daunting and Mm. it doesn't have to be but you've certainly got to be conscious of the safety aspect and to sort of have uh I liked doing point of view videos because it was sort of exactly over where you're working. Yeah. That was a controversial thing. Like some people hated that and <laughs> definitely let me get know in the comments below, but it sort of, it would be as you saw the job these days, I've sort of switched to sort of like third person view and things like that. But yep. it's sort of, if people can see it step by step, by step, by step, then, yeah ultimately they're they're hopefully going to be a little bit less daunted and a little bit more inspired to head out there and twiddle the wrenches that's it perfect
0: what was your very first motorcycle
1: xv 250 uh yamaha virago i've actually had two of them um there was the original one that i sold and then the first sort of build bike like i at the time i called it a build and these days i probably wouldn't because it was more a customization but the first sort of youtube build bike i did was an xv250 as well and then uh, my wife went on to ride that okay. fantastic motorcycle i absolutely love them i just think like everyone should learn on something like an xv250 even though We can ride up to 660 and things like that. Even a couple of weeks on a CB250 or CB125 or an XV250 can teach you a lot without uh, sort of being overpowerful or over responsive and things like that. I think they're a fantastic motorcycle and they've still got a place in sort of Australian learner riders or daily commuters and things like that.
0: Before Lambs and everything, uh, because I've, I've been riding for long enough to remember the time before Lambs. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous by that fact because I would have loved to have bought like a 650 way back then. But the Absolutely. reality is, yeah, the, the reality is that most of the 250s I owned on my learners and P's were, were great. I didn't go the XV route. I was more into sports bikes at the time. But yep. I just remember the Virago was such a popular motorcycle. Absolutely. Because easy cheap to run uh easy to work on and also Mm -hmm. because of the low seat height and and the comfort yep it made it a real no-brainer of a choice for a lot of people and i could i can understand the uh the appeal of it and and these days not so much back then but these days i can appreciate the appeal of it back then Mm -hmm. i was pretty much a die-hard sports bike guy and if it if yeah. it didn't have four cylinders and rev to twenty thousand rpm it was a piece of shit yeah the- <laughs> these days i thankfully matured and i understand yep. the appeal of something as
1: simple as that while we're I- talking about that could i ask you a question yeah go did for it, it did it reach a point like because i've had a couple of naked bikes and things i've had a couple of bikes in the background that i don't have on the channel and things like that just stuff yep. for me to enjoy myself and. I quite like nakeds. There was one day when I was riding down the highway and like I was bored and I'm like, this is not right. Like, (laughs) this, I I am getting too used to zipping around on this machine. Like this, this isn't right. Like, and that, that was a little bit of a, uh, a maturity moment for me where I sort of thought, okay, maybe, maybe cruises are for me, like, it just dial it back a little bit and like things like the uh the enfield came out of that like maybe just dial it back a bit and yeah
0: for, for me it was kind of the same sort of thing i think back to some of the stuff i did on sports bikes and and some of them were and still are you know one of the world's fastest bikes you can buy and i've done some dumb things on them when i was young and and i'm not proud of them so i'm not going to boast about them at all because when I think back to those memories, I I actually don't I don't I don't look at them fondly these days. I look at them yeah. and go far out. Like it actually scares me. It makes my stomach churn. Some of the stuff yeah. I did because I'm lucky to yeah. be alive in a lot of those cases. The thing is, is I, I guess we've all been young and dumb once, maybe more than once. But yeah, these days I kind of. That's one of the reasons I love the Himalayan, and and when I had the Classic 500, I love just dawdling through country roads and back lanes. Uh, One of my favourite roads up up this way is going from from Bathurst to Tarana, or Tarana as some people jokingly call it and and it's absolutely like why Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you call it yeah uh, especially coming from Bathurst I mean absolutely yeah but it's this gorgeous road Tarana road and I don't know if any of my listeners have, have done it but it's it runs from Bathurst it runs along a train line it's all windy it goes under like old sandstone bridges it goes over mm. old wooden bridges past rivers and it's just stunning and I've done it on on bikes that are quicker and it's fun. But when I do it on a slow bike, you start looking around, you go, man, this is just beautiful. And so what if it takes you an extra hour to get somewhere? Because one of the things I said to someone once who said to me, oh, the, the Himalayan's a slow piece of junk. And I said... I'll tell you one really good thing among many reasons why I love it is because because it's a slow bike you have more fun on it going absolutely a bit quicker if you can and yeah. you're still not breaking the speed limit which is awesome uh. but I get to ride the bike longer than you so I'm having way more fun for longer yeah yep. and and for me that's the biggest thing and and also like I was saying about Tarana coming coming back along that road the last time I did it I was just going along the river and I looked over to my side and like there's a couple of houses through this little village and like people coming out and like watering their lawn or, or their garden or whatever, waving as I go past and they don't know yeah. me. And I yeah. reckon if I stopped there, they'd probably offer me a cup of tea or something. Whereas... Absolutely. Was, yeah. And if I was doing that on my Harley, going past at 110 kilometers an hour, fat yeah. chance that would happen. They wouldn't wave at me. They'd probably give me the middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh man, this is... This is such a more pleasant way to ride a motorbike than just fanging it and and probably not remembering the ride. Full full of adrenaline at the end of the ride and at the same time, you're kind of going, yeah, that was great, except on a fast bike, riding the speed limit is boring.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And you got to save it for the racetrack, you know, or get into trouble on a public road, which I don't really want to do. Yeah, so I I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. For sure. I think
1: (laughs) for me... Like, the customization has become a big part of my experience. Like, these days, because Tasmania is pretty harsh at this time of year, like, I always uh, try and use my uh, tax check to uh, add add a new project. Like, I always sort of set about a grand sort of uh, for the the project bike, which people laugh at from the States. But a, a bike that's functioning and has still in the 90 day period so that you could just pay the rego for a grand in Australia is not that easy to find. Um, and once you do, you're like, yes. And I sort of get it set up and I like to start my projects around that sort of July and work through and the customization sort of, uh, I make my bikes more uncomfortable in a lot of people's eyes, but, uh, I'm not riding them fast. like i'm I'm riding them for myself and I enjoy it. and like that's a big part of it for me, a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the customization thing, what you said there about you're doing it for you is is an important thing because I, I think at the end of the day, I see a lot of customized motorcycles and even ones that are like completely fabricated from local builders and speed shops, guys that have amazing talent. Yep. and you look at the bike and you think, oh, it looks amazing, but I bet it's uncomfortable. I bet, but mm-hmm. the thing is, is they they've built it for them or they've built it for yep. a customer. Absolutely. And you can't you can't really. I mean, you can have an opinion, sure, but you can't really sort of be that judgmental about it because it's not yours anyway. And yeah. you know, I guess if any, well, like I've said it in the past to people when they put up a post or something on Facebook or instagram and say oh check this out what do you think and there's a whole bunch of people that poo poo it Mm -hmm. and i always say well if we all like the same thing we'd all want to marry each other's missus you know like (laughs) (laughs) i I don't say it quite as eloquently (laughs)
1: add to that the patina because um (laughs) on the bike on the missus (laughs) yeah so well (laughs) (laughs) is that the time i should be (laughs) (laughs) yeah Let me start again. I, yeah, you, Listeners, viewers may not know, but my, my signature style is patina. And, gee, that to zo- uh, divides people, like, the rat rod look on a motorcycle. Yeah. If you want to unleash the wolves, uh, yeah, <laughs> to deliberately rust something. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's that's what I'm into. I've always been into that look, and yep. uh, I, I love just sort of I, I like making it mechanically A one. Yeah. And safe to ride, but then the aesthetic like it's been sitting in a paddock for ten years.
0: Yeah. That's another one of the reasons I, I like your channel is because that, that whole aesthetic actually appeals to me. One of the reasons my my sporty that I bought, I got the denim version, which yep. for for non Harley riders, the denim version's basically like the matte black finish. Yep. or, or the matte paint finish. And, and Harley actually says it in the manual, uh, the user manual, is that this paint is supposed to age, it's supposed to patina, yeah. and I've got little marks and scratches, and of course, because it's matte, mm-hmm. things things get shiny in spots where like your leg yep. rubs all the time, down yep. on the petrol tank or places like that, and like I've got a few stone chips and marks on the front, front fender that I've just left it and it starts rusting, and I want it to do that. And some yep. people look at that and go, Oh, you know, like you're gonna fix that up, you're gonna yeah. paint that or you're gonna I'm like, no, nah. your bike,
1: mate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like I barely wash my bikes because I'm too busy riding them. I ride Absolutely. them all the what's, time.
1: What's the point? I'm only just gonna take it out again. It it's yeah. raining.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It'll get <laughs> yeah. washed while it's raining. Yeah. Exactly. All right yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I that, that appeals to me as well. But I know a lot of people that question me as well and look at it and go are you going to fix up that rust or what? No, mm. it's perfect. Leave it. Yep,
1: absolutely. And particularly, like, it's the story of the motorcycle. Like, it, yeah. it's the story of your time with that motorcycle. You don't have to buy it new. That's right. Like, it, it just, it's the it's an adventure. Like, yeah. here's where I did a U-turn and it fell over because That's it, right. and yeah. here's where I went camping and the tent fell on it and yeah. things like that. Like, yep. it's, yeah, it's That's the story. It.
0: That's it. And it depends on the bike too like i'm i'm looking at getting another motorcycle i'll probably sell the sportster eventually and buy something else and and the bike i buy is probably going to be a forever bike Mm -hmm. uh and i might get other bikes later on but but that one's going to be the one whatever it may be and one of them is that bmw r18 cruiser which i got to ride ross's from biker talk and yeah it's amazing like it's Everything on it is, like, beautifully machined alloy and steel. There's no, like, pressed sheet metal. There's no. There's nothing on there that makes it look like they cut costs. And a bike like that, I would probably just buy it and leave it absolutely stock the way BMW intended. And yep. I've even seen on Instagram people, especially in Europe, who've modified the clappers out of them, and they look awesome. Yeah. But I just go, no, nah, if I'm going to buy that bike... It's gonna be like stock, stock, stock. I wouldn't ever touch it, and it's probably yep. one I would wash occasionally.
1: So, yep. <laughs> my my Triumph Speedmaster for me is that motorcycle. Like, yep. it's it, I've had faster bikes, more custom bikes. Like, it, it, I keep that as stock as I can. Like, I've done a few aesthetic things. Like, I've changed a seat to a single. Cause, uh, my wife rides, so she doesn't go on the back and things like, so, so I don't need a, a pillion seat and things, but it's basically a stock motorcycle. And, yeah. uh, if I was going to jump on a bike and ride to Perth, that would be the one I'd take It's yeah. sort of that that's my BMW. Yeah. Nice. It's just, it's a perfect balance. It's got a heap of grunt for what it is. People would laugh at that, but. It's perfect for me, the right weight, the right grunt. Yeah. Uh, It's super comfortable. I'm not a big bloke by any stretch. I'm only 165 centimeters tall. So height makes a big difference. Mm. It's sort of like it's the difference between a bike clicking or not and things yeah. like that. Like, yeah, for me, it's the it's 865 Speedmaster.
0: Yeah, nice. I think something like that really shows the importance of a good balanced machine that you can love you don't have to have 150 horsepower and razor sharp handling gsxrs are are awesome i love them yeah but the thing is is that there's there's something about a bike that's sort of like a little bit more subdued and, and controllable something like that's great you know, like even like the, the Royal Enfield 650 twins, people go, oh, it'd be great if it had 10 more horsepower. I've heard that that saying for the last, I don't know, all my life since I've been riding and even before mm-hmm. then. And I hear that about the Himalayan. I hear that about KTMs. I hear that about the the Harley Davidson Pan America. Oh, 150 mm-hmm. horsepower. Oh, it'd be good if it had 160. <laughs> it's
1: just like, yeah. come on, yeah.
0: man. Like, really? Yeah. You know and and i saw a thing where they were drag racing the new honda fireblade that's got like 160 170 horsepower or something dumb like that or probably more the traction control kicks in even when you turn it off because it's that that, you know honda doesn't want you flipping the bike over and i thought well you got all that horsepower and you can't even use it because the computers are are making it turn off for you and i thought that's that's just a waste for me i'd rather have a bike with 100 horsepower. Mm-hmm. i can still have a lot of fun with and these days i'm happy with 40 or 50 and in fact you know with the with the himalayan i've got like 20 so yeah like i don't really care and and the harley davidson sports is the same but i just think these big horsepower numbers that people used to dream about 20 25 30 years ago yeah you still go on the internet and there's always someone who goes "Oh, i would be good if it had 170 horsepower
1: yeah <laughs> and that that hits home When you travel, I'm not the most well-traveled dude on the planet, things like that. I certainly sort of don't name drop the countries I've been to, but when you do travel, it hits home how spoilt we in Australia, the US, UK are for choice and the big HP bikes we can buy. Like most countries like two fifties, like you're taxed beyond all recognition once you go beyond that and things like that like a lot of people are riding 125s or 90cc scooters and things like that like we are so spoilt for choice and yeah like you only need i think i read somewhere like 50 cc's and two horsepower or something to get a full-size man moving down the road close to the speed limit
0: that's right I mean, yeah. even, even looking at Royal Enfield, a lot of people have whinged about the fact that the 500 is now discontinued and, and really all we have is a choice of either the 650 twins or or the, uh, the singles. We've got the Himalayan and we've got the New Media 350 or the Classic 350. And people are like, oh, when are they going to make a 500 Classic again? And I, I don't think they will because when you look at the sales figures in the biggest mm. country where they sell in, which is India, where they're made... Yeah. The, the 500 was like, I think like 8% sales compared yeah. to the 350 yep. and most people there, the 350 is big enough for them.
1: Absolutely. Like if you've got gravel roads and an 80 maximum, like yeah. do you need it? And yeah. if the taxing and like road tax and things like that comes into it, like it's financially like, like everyone wants 150 horsepower in Australia, but you don't really need it. Like, no, I. No, you don't I fully understand that. Like and yeah. we're not its main market. We're probably what? Under ten percent of its entire probably one percent of its entire sales. Like that's
0: that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had the, the Virago and we just talked about the Triumph there. What what are what are some of the other notable bikes you've owned apart from the ones you've you've modified on the YouTube channel?
1: I had an XS six fifty. Because everyone has an XS650 that wants to get into customizing. And I used to read The Horse. Have you ever heard of that magazine? Like it's yes. Customization Motorcycle Magazine. Um, mm. Everyone was discovering the 650 and it was the worst bike I've ever owned. Like, <laughs> my God. Like, what, made it, what made it so bad? <laughs> vibration. It, it would literally vibrate itself out of tune. Like you would spend <laughs> hours tuning it. And then halfway through a ride, it would vibrate itself out of tune or something would fall off. Like I had shears in Loctite, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it was the worst bike, holy crap. Uh... I mean, granted previous owner, because it was 1972, had done some questionable electrics and things like that. And like, I, I it makes me laugh online where like oh the previous owner did this, blah, 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 blah. But the next time I sell a bike, someone's going to complain about what me as the previous owner. So I'm a little bit cautious about slinging mud, but there were some questionable electrics on this bike and it was just, I liked the look of it. I yeah. sort of put on a monster craftsman, um, back end. So it sort of made it an American style bobber okay. with sort of a drop seat and loved the look of it, but, oh, it was terrible. And I rode it into the ground. Sold it to a hipster for more than I paid, and because the value had gone up, and <laughs> <laughs> was very glad to get rid of it. Yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh well, that that's definitely not like one of your best motorcycles, then. No, no.
1: <laughs> no I think I've only ever put one picture of it on one video, like the two seconds, like the boom. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> oh.
0: I suppose with uh, with the amount of problems with it, you'd probably be no sh- no shortage of content to create for that bike. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guys. If you want to start a YouTube channel, get a seventy two XS six hundred and fifty. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would know uh, Dick Smith um, Speed Baron in UK. Yep, he his bikes inspired me to start with. Like I I was messing with my bike before I even had my L's. Like people often ask me how I got into motorcycling and I, I I sort of tell them Charlie Borman and they automatically think long way around, which Mm. magic series. But I actually sort of found it probably put it out of the scope of Joe average like myself, like you need a camera crew and you need three support vehicles. And like, I I like doing stuff by myself on the, the simple, um, he did a series, um, Sydney at, uh, by any means it was. And Dick Smith, Baron Speedshop built him this candy apple red triumph bobber yep. to, to, for the first leg. And I'm like, wow, that like I've always been into tattoos and custom and blah, 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 blah. And yep. I was in cars, they were getting too expensive as I was adulting and things like that. So I sort of had to sell off all the cars I had and I was looking for another outlet and I saw that bike and I'm like, Wow, that is sick. That that is for me. And so I think ultimately maybe Triumph Bonnies are uh, starting to get from the sixties are out of my price range, but something like a W six fifty or something like that. Like it's or a sort of a, a two thousand Triumph or something like that. Like that might be the ultimate project for me. Like yeah, nice. down the track. Yeah, something like that, just to sort of pay homage to that, the bike that first got me into bikes.
0: Yeah, I remember that series. I was just thinking about it then when you were talking about it and I rem- I remember watching it and I think I, c- I could be wrong because I- I've bought a lot of their books. I, I actually read The Long Way Round and-, yep. and The Long Way, Um, the I think the second one they did as well. I, I-, I got all the books, I got all the DVDs. Yeah, Uh, I I absolutely love the series as well, but I do remember that build and yeah, it's a sensational looking motorcycle. So just so simple,
1: just two wheels, some handlebars and a seat. And it sounds strange when it comes out of my mouth, but that led me to XV 250, but uh, it was lambs like, uh, and that was what was available in my suburb, in my price range with no license and that a 65 Bonnie and an XV250 are absolutely not comparable motorcycles. (laughs) But in my mind, that the vision of that led me to that. And I think down the track, I need to build that as, as homage to sort of that, that first bike that I saw and fell in love with.
0: I think what you were saying there as well about location and price here in Australia, that can be a challenge as well, because. Absolutely. I know, like I, I watch guys on YouTube that build stuff in America, or they find, they find these beautiful old Harley's and stuff. Or for, a CB
1: 750, like that's a ten yeah. thousand dollar bike not running here, like yeah. sort of thing. Like yeah, yeah.
0: but over there it would be like a barn find that they <laughs> <Yeah>. they just <laughs> like change the oil, put fresh fuel in it, and give it a kick and it goes. And they've and yeah. they've bought it for like a thousand dollars or or even less, you know. And yeah. Sometimes it sometimes it makes me jealous. Sometimes it makes me inspired. Sometimes it just yeah. pisses me off because then I go, <laughs> "Man, I'm never <laughs> ever gonna find a bargain like that." Like nah. if I if I ever ever find anything like that, it's like you said, it's gonna be a ten thousand dollar bike, non-running. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna need another ten thousand dollars worth of work to get it going. Yeah. Probably an engine rebuild. Who knows yeah. what else? And I just think, oh man, like yeah. So you, here in Australia, and and I would imagine oh, because. It's even smaller and small, small market. market it'd yep. be hard to find stuff locally where it's affordable, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, like the $1,000 builds kind of thing where you've got this limited budget and what are you going to do you you know and so things like those triumphs or cb 750s not exactly just like oh yeah we'll just go out and find one and yeah no worries he's he's 500 bucks or just scared on craigslist yeah Yeah. like (laughs) i said it inspires me I, i i love all that stuff but at the same time i just go oh man in australia and sometimes i've left comments on those youtube videos where People, oh, I've found this, you know, old shovel head for 650 bucks. Let's get it started. Rebuilds the car, he puts fresh fuel in it and goes. Yeah. And I just, I just look at that and go, that's a $25,000 bike. And and people yeah, go, what yeah. do you mean? It's like, man, here in Australia, if you mm-hmm. fire, if you, even if you found one, if you'd be lucky, you'd won lotto. Mm-hmm. Even if you find yeah. one, let alone trying to afford one, and it's just like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm hearing it. Yeah, you. well, you you know Bye. more than me because you're actually doing all of these custom builds and stuff. So. Yeah, I think the W six hundred and fifty idea is pretty cool because I've always loved them. Yeah, I remember when they came out. I was still a bike mechanic, and I remember working on them, going, "Oh, this is a beautiful bike. It's easy." And yep. and it was yep. kind of like Kawasaki's attempt at being the the Bonneville killer, which some people yeah. even say it's more M- Bonneville than the Bonneville is these, these days.
1: You know, Bonneville. I've absolutely <laughs> heard that, and it was the first retro before retros were retro and that's hip right. And like it's got it a does. cult following. It really yeah. does,
0: but I think I think they're great bikes. I'd, yeah, I, yeah, I I don't know if I'd buy one only because my direction's kind of changing. But if one came up and I yep. saw it and it was a good price, I would probably just go and grab it. And it's yeah. they're probably almost old enough to go onto historic rego. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I've got I t- said before I've got a a bit of a passion for nakeds behind the scene. Uh, I've got a first-gen SV650 nice. that is absolutely mint sitting in the shed. I, I'm not sure whether I want to cut it up or not. <laughs> like, it's the first bike where I've gone, like, mm, these are a bit of a cult. Uh, I can see why it's a genuinely oh, superb awesome motorbike bikes. to ride. Like, uh, It's just like we were talking about before. It's in that weight range. It's in that power band. It's, yeah, yeah. it's the first bike I've looked at and gone, do i just leave you in the shed for another few years or do i just whip out the angle grinder and cut you off some frame <laughs> off layers?
0: yeah no, I, I reckon you should keep that because I, I think back to that era mm. when the sv650 came out and suzuki was doing a lot of cool bikes i mean the the Hayabusa had just come out recently around that era uh the yeah. tl1000 which is like super rare these days yeah, yeah. i i've I think I've only, apart from growing up around them, I've only ever seen one in the wild in like the last 10 years once. And it was just like, oh, wow, that's a TL-1000. Because I nearly bought one. I remember test riding a brand new one thinking, I'm going to buy one of these. And then I ended up going a different direction. But yeah, I reckon if I did buy that bike, that would still be sitting in the shed and probably completely stock, maybe apart from the the typical Yoshimura exhaust system, because why wouldn't you? But um. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, reckon, I reckon keep that one stock and just leave it covered up and,
1: yeah. It's a superb motorcycle. Yeah. Even the brand-new one that they've sort of yeah. built, they haven't no, changed much, no, really. Like, I have a real soft spot for that yeah. motorcycle. Like, it, it's it's just... But, and even the GS, like my current project, sorry if that sounds like a plug, but is a GS500E. Yep. It's... Around 50 horsepower seems for me to be a sweet spot. Like it's sort of like uh, small, light, got enough poke to have fun, but not enough to get in trouble. And the GS500, dime a dozen, ugly as hell. But uh, that was part of the draw card. Like it's in the sweet spot power, but it's sort of that, Uh, like mine's an 89 when it first came out, but they're sort of known as 90s twins. It's sort of, it's maybe not in the sweet spot of beauty, (laughs) but it it had a bit going for it and it came up at the right price, that sort of thousand bucks, got it for 900. Uh, Like, yeah, it it was right in the sweet spot of price. And yeah, it sort of, can, can I make it my own is the next, Sort of
0: decision i think i think the gs is a great build one of my friends and i think i commented on your first uh the first video you yeah yeah my mate and i did a big ride years ago and he was riding one of those while he was still on his peas and he him and i rode through like hundreds of kilometers of gravel roads through state forests and and man, the bike just kept up fine in fact one of the funniest parts was that he, he didn't know much about bike maintenance when he first got that bike and um, the the chain and sprockets on it were just destroyed. And by the time we were, I reckon about maybe 300 Ks away from home and this was a 2,000 kilometer trip on a weekend. He, he hadn't yeah. adjusted or lubricated the chain once. and by the time we had got to about 2 300 Ks from home, I looked at his chain and went, man, that thing's nearly dragging on the floor, like on the ground. And and then I looked at his <laughs> sprockets, and it, it wasn't even like shark's teeth anymore. They were just, the teeth were missing. I was like, man, don't don't crack the <laughs> throttle open on this. And so we we just adjusted the chain a little bit, threw some lube on it, and we rode home. He yeah. made it home, and then yeah, immediately went online and ordered a new set of chain and sprockets. But the thing just kept going. Like it didn't matter what we did to it and simple twin cylinder you know oil slash air cooled engine um yeah yeah just it just keeps going nothing nothing wrong happened to that bike apart from basic maintenance some of it was because of neglect but hey uh but but the thing is it it just kept going you know like it didn't let him down it didn't break down once it didn't leave him stranded they're just cracking motorcycles and like you said they're cheap they're really really affordable yeah yeah i I think he bought it for about two grand, and it was the full fairing model. Um, I can't remember what year model it was.
1: The vast majority of my bikes have been from the Piano Maker and the SV650 was the first Suzuki I'd ever owned and the GS500 sort of feels like the little brother to the SV650, particularly because they're roughly the same Mm -hmm. sort of era. They're great bikes. There's a lot to be said for yeah. Suzuki. Like I'd absolutely buy another one. Like if I was looking for a sport bike, I'd definitely now start looking at a Jigsa. Yeah. Like so they just seem to have a little bit different philosophy than Yamaha yeah, absolutely. and which like I I did a list like I did some prep for <laughs> this. Uh I did a list of all the bikes I have owned that I yep. could remember. And like probably eighty percent of them have been yeah, Yamaha. Right. Um uh i don't I, I think maybe that was just the xv yeah. like okay i've now i want an uh xvs 650 because i've had the xv 250 yeah. i don't know but yeah like every time i have bought another brand like the royal enfield things like that like every bite's got something to offer like i'm certainly not just bound yeah. to one brand yeah that's for sure everything's got something to offer and i'm quite liking Suzuki yeah, for sure
0: man so what what is that list what do you got there okay (laughs) all righty folks we've come to that point in the show today where we're going to take a short break to hear from our show sponsors please stay tuned and remember those discount codes still apply so make sure you use them time to get myself a new jacket and a matching pair of gloves with the discount code over at johnnyreb our show sponsor it makes it really affordable and i have to say damn i look good in some johnny reb gear all i have to do is enter the code bikes15 at checkout over at johnnyreb.com.au that's b-i-k-e-s-1-5 and i instantly get 15 percent off all my purchases and to top it off if i spend over 49 dollars they give me free shipping that's easy Johnnyreb.com.au. Oh yeah. Riding your bike? Thirsty work. Mowing the lawn? Thirsty work. You deserve a refreshing drink. My top beer, The Nectar of the Hops from Willie the Boatman, is rated number 99 in the top beers of Australia. Well it's number one in my household and just to make it sweeter, Willy the Boatman are offering you 20% off all their purchases on their website. All you gotta do is enter the code hashtag bikesburgersbeers at checkout on willytheboatman.com and you get beer delivered to your door. Nothing like cracking open a cold one after wrestling with the lawnmower. Still thirsty? Nah, not anymore. Okay,
1: ladies and gentlemen, back to the show. Okay, so I'm sure there's a couple of, like, POSs that I've missed out <laughs> on it that I sort of just flicked because they were rubbish. <laughs> but because it doesn't seem... I thought there was a few more on it. But XV250, XS650, XLH, uh, sorry, XLCH900, 1969, Beautiful. that was... Oh, lovely bike, but so difficult to get bits for and kick only. Like I, it came up for sale the other week, like I haven't owned it for probably four or five years, but I saw it for sale on marketplace and my wife and I had a serious discussion about whether I would buy it back, but it's not the driveway, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Juke 390, cracking bike, uh, CBR 250R, which was the MC 19, the hurricane. That was a cracking bike. That was an X race bike. Uh, we had this thing called Tassie Lights in Tasmania, and it was an X sort of track bike. It was fun. The first uh XV two hundred and fifty for the channel. So the second XV two hundred and fifty had an XR two hundred and fifty L because I sort of wanted to do a bit of dual sporting, but it's too tall for me. That's uh, I, I wish I'd bought an XT two hundred and fifty or a uh something like that just something a little bit shorter for my small stature xvs 1100 still have that love it uh triumph speedmaster possibly controversially maybe the best bike i've ever owned the royal enfield classic 500 i I love that it's still in the shed xvs 650 which is now sort of chopper looking uh sv650 xv 750 so second gen yamaha with the two oh, yeah. shocks on the back a 1981 cb 250 rs that i turned into a cafe racer that was a 500 bike oh it's nice i i i'm not saying my build of it's nice but it's a yeah. cool little bike and then the gs 500e and my wife has had an an xv 250 that was yep. the build and and ninja 250 which was a cracking yeah. little motorcycle and then she now rides a CBR 500R, and that is a gem of a motorcycle. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I steal that a little bit sometimes to go for a ride. It's it's a nice motorcycle.
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant, yep. man! Well, there was definitely no no shortage of motorcycles there. That's for sure.
1: No, <laughs> uh, I went through a stage where I would be buying and selling a couple a mm. year, but uh, just I don't know. Just the bug bit me, and I suddenly found that I had too many vintage and nothing ran <laughs> <laughs> so at one point in time i had the xs and the 69 sportster both in pieces on the garage floor and nothing to ride so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah one one project at <laughs> a time that's it
0: yeah <laughs> i have yeah. a habit of doing that sometimes yeah having too many projects at the same time and it just you just stare at the yeah. bits on the concrete and go, oh man, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what have I done? I've done a, <laughs> can I borrow your bike? You yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily I don't do that so much these days, but I've, I've had that same experience in yeah. the past as well. I usually ask all my guests right towards the end of the show, but I thought I'll ask you now, is there anything that you'd yep. like to share with our listeners that we haven't covered?
1: Get out there and do it. You can do it if I can do it. You can do it. It's simple. Like as I said before, like nothing's irreparable. You you accidentally—I don't see how you would—but you accidentally cut your motorcycle frame in two. That could be welded back together and mod bladed, and like there's nothing that can't be fixed. Like electrics get frustrating, but there's nothing on a motorcycle that can't be fixed. So get out in the shed and make it yours. As you said, like every bike should be different we've all got our own personalities and what i ride isn't everyone's cup of tea and i'm well aware of that what they ride's possibly not my cup of tea but i can still appreciate it because it's a motor in a frame on two wheels get out in the garden and do it you don't need equipment 20 buck angle grinder i use i've got two angle grinders now one's got a flappy paddle on it one's got a cutting disc on it (laughs) 40 bucks worth of equipment and i bought myself I lashed out because I had a kitty litter tray full of spare tools that I'd collected. And I lashed out and bought myself a King Chrome automotive metric set. I think intro price was like 300 bucks or something like that. It, it, significant outlay, but not unachievable by any stretch. Yeah. And so basically I build everything I play around with, with a King Chrome set from super cheap, a set of lock pliers. And two angle grinds. Yeah, perfect. I could do it. Just get out there and do it. Yeah.
0: It just goes to show you don't need a fabrication shop to get a lot of this stuff done. No. Yeah.
1: No, not at all. Just think it through. Think safety. Nothing to be gained by you wrecking yourself because you've uh, put eight inch overs on a uh, stock frame that's a sport bike or something like (laughs) that. Like, just do it sensibly. Like... The biggest danger is the loosen up between the handlebars and the seat at times, but <laughs> just, just go for it within reason and experiment. And my personal philosophy is I don't strip it apart these days and just spread it around the shed. Like mm. I, I buy the bike, I get it riding and get it running consistently. And then I do it in blocks, even if I have to redo something, even if I have to put the case back on and then the next week take back off by the end of the weekend, I want that bike to still be able to go down the road. And I find that a lot less daunting. Like, so little jobs, little steps and like, you can do it. Like if you take it all apart and bare frame laying on the floor, it's very easy to just get overwhelmed or make a mistake and not be able to get it back together. Um, If you do it in small steps, like take the wheel off, paint it, put it back on, take the front wheel off, paint it, put it back on. Yeah, like Just do it in small steps and your brain can deal with it a lot easier.
0: Absolutely. I think what you said there, overwhelming is is a real big word because it's easier to pull something apart and go, I want to do a full nut and bolt restoration on this. But then get to that point especially if you're not really experienced or mm. yeah, and I think myself included even as a qualified bike mechanic a former bike mechanic I look at some of these online restorations or, or even things like you know you see all these chopper shows on TV that were around years ago or these custom build shows for cars and bikes mm. and it kind of it can also lull you in a in a false sense of security where you think you can do it but yeah. that, that half an hour TV show, they've probably spent six months building that. And even though it looks like, oh, we've got to get this done by tomorrow night, you know, to yeah. pull another 15-hour shift, it's probably not the reality yeah. of it. No. Nah. And, and, and I think people can... Money. Yeah, and money yeah. as well. That's right. Because yeah. a lot of those builds, there's just some customer who's just paying the, the bill for the, for the build. And you've yeah. got 10 different people working on this vehicle, uh, a spray painter uh, who only does that an engine rebuilder who only does that. Whereas guys like you and I, we're just us and we got to do the whole thing ourselves. And, yep. and yeah, I'm a qualified bike mechanic, but that doesn't mean that I can just fix anything or, oh. or be able to yeah. fabricate stuff. I, I don't know how to weld that well at all. I'm, I'm probably a really, really shit. Oh, I am a really, a really shit welder. <laughs> so like, I know that for a fact. But like, <laughs> like, And it's one of those things that you can't be good at everything. And I think, yeah, making it like something that's like a, basically a rolling restoration where everything works, it's up and running, like you said, is great yeah. because then you can use the bike. And yep. I think also riding the bike then gives you an idea of, oh, I want to change that bit. I want to do that. Definitely. And you get more familiar with the bike and go, I wonder what happens if I adjust this or, or change a part mm-hmm. or fix it or do something yep. else to it. And I think getting more familiar with the bike with the actual use of it makes a big difference too. So yeah, I think that's a really, really important aspect for a lot of people to think about if they're going to take part in, in starting to modify their bikes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I I run a YouTube channel about customizing things in your driveway, but don't just blindly follow what a forum says or what a YouTube channel says. Like, As Steph said, like ride it, get to know the bike. Like, uh, you see that a lot with sort of track builds or canyon bike builds and stuff like that. Like, you can't tell me that all these blokes are redlining at, at 300 K an hour, knee down, elbow down, shoulder down before they're modifying it, yeah. like they're throwing a lot of money at those bikes that are probably still way beyond their ability yeah. stock. Yeah. Just get to know your bike for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah,
0: that's it. Well man, we're coming to the end of the show, so you probably know being familiar with it, what I've got coming yep. up next. Yep. Burgers and beers. Uh now I know there's no shortage of delicious food in Tasmania. What's one of your favourite places to maybe ride to or you've been to that's got excellent food and and delicious delicious cold beer?
1: Yeah, okay. Ride to, there's a place on the beach in Devonport called Drift Cafe. Uh, Make fantastic coffee, uh, good beer, good location, great burgers, they do a great slider.
0: Okay, nice. Uh,
1: Probably the best burger I have had in a very, very long time was on a trip with my wife. This place on the waterfront, Bill's Burgers, American cheeseburger, absolutely delightful. Uh, Yeah, best burger I've had in a long time and I'm probably having burgers all the time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, unreal, man. Well, I'm definitely going to put them down in the show notes. Yep. So anyone who lives in Tassie who listens, uh, wants to go and check it out, please do. And then anyone who's visiting Tasmania,
1: definitely go and check it out as well. Billy's Burgers on the waterfront. Uh, no association, it's not my mate's place or anything like <laughs> that. Uh, just, yeah, well worth it. And that whole waterfront area, if you're ever visiting Tasmania, yep. go to Salamanca. like it. Those historic buildings turned into burka joints and bars and stuff. It just does it for me. It's probably the best place in the state. Yeah, yeah it's a great spot.
0: So that's just on the waterfront in Hobart, Salamanca Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: So, yeah. Billy's is up near Henry Art Hotel and okay. the Drunken Admiral and places like that. It's on the sort of uh, maybe, what would it be, the, the northeast side of it. Yep. Uh, it's just, But yeah, well worth it anywhere in that area. Oh. Do it, people, do it. <laughs> See, I
0: haven't been in so long. All these places that I've been hearing about from yourself, from Big Bert and other guests I've had, they're all new places that I've never seen. And yeah, yeah, last time I was in in Hobart, it was still quite a, a bit of a sleepy town, really. So yeah, nice to nice to hear that there's a lot of cool places opening up that you can go to and check out.
1: It's not my thing, and. Uh, like I, I'm not slamming it by any stretch, it's just not my thing. But Mona has bought a huge amount of visitation to Hobart, and it's real difficult to get a room in Hobart really now at night, uh, to stay in and stuff. So, book early people, but yeah. um, like with that has come more money and more sort of uh, confidence, and yeah, there's a whole lot of new places. Yeah, the last sort of five years or so, even with COVID, like a lot of places in Tasmania have had a bit of a breath of fresh air and uh, a little bit more injection of money from investors and mainland people coming in. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's really coming on in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's sort of a blessing in disguise, isn't it? Because on one hand, it's great because there's all these cool (laughs) places Uh, But at the same time, I imagine like we we want tourists to come, but at the same time, when we do see them, it's just like, oh, it's just traffic jams, can't get a place to eat, can't get a place to stay. It's sort of a a bittersweet kind of, I'm glad it's all happening. And it's injecting money into the local economy. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, it'd be just nice to enjoy the peace and quiet again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know like, I, cause I got friends in, in Launceston as well. And, and they've said, oh man, the real estate price is up here. We're going berserk. Mm. And, yeah. um, and like, like I said, cause I haven't been back in so long. I haven't seen any of that, but I'm looking forward to, to coming back. And, um, yeah, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm, I'm going to be in, in Hobart and Launceston next weekend, but I won't get to see anything cause I'll just be there for work. It'll literally be out of the airport yeah. into the venue, start working and then, We'll be done by midnight into the hotel room, wake up the next morning, bus straight down to Hobart, and then do it all again, and then fly home the next day after that. So, unfortunately, not going to get any time to see anything apart from maybe, maybe a local cafe at lunch or something like
1: that. But, um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Honey Badger. Yeah,
0: nice. If you,
1: uh, hung over (laughs) AF and you're starting in Hobart and you want, wicked dessert go to honey badger at salamaker okay all right yeah. done. I'll like, definitely... so billy's burgers yeah. for lunch honey badger for hangover cure like waffles and <laughs> stuff like that nice there, there's your day planned right there perfect
0: <laughs> i'm putting them in the show notes and i'm going to put them in my personal notes as well because uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: i'll
0: probably check them out for sure Perfect. Well, look, we'll wrap things up there. Just want to say thank you so much once again. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, man. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Oh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm honoured to be here. Like I've been listening, like no joke, uh, right from the start. I just love it. So yeah, it's, it's an honour to be here. So thank you very <laughs> much and, um, yeah, just good luck with it.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that, yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I re-listened to episode one, uh, on the drive home the other night, okay. cause I, I do a lot of driving, like 69 K each way out to sort of cradle mountains. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, some of the motorcycle ones are hectic. Like, uh, there's a famous one in the States. that has got about nine hosts, Yeah, uh, it's got two M's in the name. Uh, <laughs> I just find it very hectic to listen to and yep. just uh, sort of have one dude who knows his shit uh and have engaged guests it's it's just a pleasure to listen to and the audio quality is great even on your first one it uh, comes to the speakers perfectly you've got perfect voice that
0: yeah oh thanks man Kissed in your
1: pocket now sorry but <laughs> I, I, i'm a big fan so uh, i yeah. really
0: appreciate it. thanks man I, I appreciate that yeah and likewise with the youtube channel yeah been been enjoying every episode watching it grow and, um, yeah, as soon as I always, every, time I get a moment, if you've popped a, a new YouTube video up, I always... I put it into my watch later list and then I go back to it when I have time to sit down and actually watch it and, yeah, really enjoy them. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, and likewise, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Well,
0: folks, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Bikes, Burgers, Beers. More is planned along the way. And as I mentioned, some big changes to the show next season in Season 3. Johnny Reb and Willie the Boatman are both continuing giving you beautiful listeners year-round discounts for being a fan of the show. Thanks guys, I really appreciate your support. And to all you listeners who have made your purchases from our show sponsors. Now make sure you hit that subscribe button to ensure you get notifications for every episode of Bikesburgers Beers that comes out. We have some more awesome interviews coming out for the rest of the year and uh, if you love today's episode be sure you hit that button and make sure you hit our Instagram page as, as well as our Patreon and Coffee page. It helps keeps the show going. The links are down below in the show notes along with iRide Taz's YouTube channel and the places he loves and recommends to try so when you're down in Tazzy you can try them as well. Well, that's all for today, ladies and lads. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thanks for listening. And remember, folks, keep it twisted.